Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, Coach Brad here. And before we jump into today's show, I want to tell you about a bluffing masterclass that I am launching on Saturday. The reason I decided to launch a webinar on bluffing is because I see students leave money on the table all the time by either not following through with their bluffs or by getting exploited by regs who start bluffing them too frequently. I also see them out on a limb in 3-bet or bloated pots with hands like ace-king, ace-queen, or king-queen. When they miss the board, they see bet the flop, they face resistance, and then they just don't know what to do, right? And if you've ever wondered to yourself how beneficial the podcast is, not just for you, but for me to make, the moment of truth for me came from two places. The first was a Nick Howard tweet. Somebody asked him the biggest leaks in people's games, and he said, you aren't bluffing often enough on the river, and you're folding too often on the river. Number two was in my podcast with Matt Hunt, where he talks about language and simplifying complex ideas so that they resonate more. With both of these greatness bombs in tow, I started trying to simplify a complex situation, and that was, why do I barrel? Why do I continue putting pressure on my opponents in spots that quote-unquote feel right? I started trying to put language to it, and that's how I came up with the law of fragility. It's a very simple and easy concept that has become my north star when I'm deciding whether to barrel and also whether or not I want to bluff catch. And I promise you, if there's one thing that you buy from me all year, make it this masterclass because I have absolutely no doubt that it's going to 10x your return on investment and give you more clarity in spots where you feel like you have absolutely no idea what to do. You can sign up for the Bluffing Masterclass at ChasingPokerGreatness.com. Once again, you can sign up for the Masterclass at ChasingPokerGreatness.com. And now this week on Chasing Poker Greatness... In the spirit of the Bluffing Masterclass, we are celebrating Hero Bluff Week. From Tuesday to Saturday of this week, me and one of my students, Thomas, are going to be breaking down some of the most interesting and iconic bluffs in the poker world. Today, we're starting off with Live at the Bike Day, and then we're going to Phil Ivy Day, WSOP, WPT Day, And then finally, High Stakes Poker Day. It's going to be a week of shows that you do not want to miss if you enjoy the strategic element of poker. So without any further ado, let's jump into day one, live at the bike day here on Chasing Poker Greatness. Thomas, welcome to the show. Welcome to Hero Bluff Week, sir. Thank you, Brad. Good to be here. So for the listener who has no idea who you are, who are you? Well, um, I started coaching with you, I guess, a few years ago now. 
Um, I was playing 50 and L online doing okay, maybe winning five or six big blinds per hundred and grinded up a role uh, with the help of your coaching and had success through at least 200 and L online uh, and now have moved to Los Angeles and play live poker professionally, uh, primarily five, five with a little bit of five, 10 mixed in and have continued coaching with you along the entire way and loved it. So. Yeah, you, you won't let me drop you as a student. You just keep giving me money, and I have to keep coaching you. Even when there were, were a few years when I was coaching for Run It Once where I kind of went went dark as far as taking on new students. Yeah, I, I remember being your only student for a little while when you didn't really want to coach, and <laughs> I wouldn't let you quit coaching me. There was too much value to be had from it. So, Yeah, and I mean – you've transitioned from the online world to the live world. Any reason why? Uh, yeah. So I was playing online and doing pretty well when I had some health issues come up and it turns out I have some sort of autoimmune condition that affects my joints and I'm not really able to use a computer mouse for long enough to play online anymore. So I think that I was at a point where online probably was more profitable than live would have been, at least the stakes I'm currently playing. But I was kind of forced into that transition. So I, I don't really have an option on it anymore. Well, at least now is a good time for folks with an autoimmune disorder to go to the casino, fire up some life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, perfect time, huh? <laughs> yeah, they're ca- catching you from every single angle. I, I was taking a look at the app to see how many tables were running at the casino I normally play at. And it seems like uh, most people are actually being rather cautious here. Uh, there are only a couple tables of the stake I normally run, despite it being Saturday night. And there would normally be 10 plus tables of 5-5 five, five running. So, What casino? Uh, Commerce? Uh, I primarily play at the Hawaiian Gardens Casino uh, in Los Angeles. It's the closest to me. The room's really nice. The food's great. Uh, there's some downsides, but compared to commerce, it's night and day. It's, it's a much nicer room than commerce. I haven't been to the new one. I was there when they had the tent and the birds at the entrance and, uh, the games were good at HG. Everyone always tells me about the tent days and, and speaks of it fondly. There used to be a five ten five hundred $500 cap game that everyone used to play. And then they opened the five five six hundred dollar cap game, and that kind of shut down the five ten for the most part. Now it just gets one table running most of the time. So, yeah, I played in a lot of those five ten short buy in games. And by the way, it's not fondly for me. That's just how I know it. I haven't been to the new and improved Hawaiian <laughs> Gardens. Haven't been to LA in six or seven years, but it was a good spot for sure. Almost all of the rooms have done a lot of remodeling. Um, Hustler is really nice. Hawaiian Gardens is really nice. Uh, the bike is really nice. And what else is there? There's another I'm forgetting that's not Commerce, I believe. But uh, Hollywood, Commerce, Hollywood it, Park? Hollywood Park, yes. Hollywood Park is also quite nice. The area is not, but the room is exceptionally nice. Uh, Commerce is the only room that hasn't really done any remodeling. And I just feel like I'm packed in like a herd of cattle it's just and the chip cart the chip cart goes around and it's constantly beeping and it tilts me to no end i cannot cannot stand it worst thing about commerce to me has always been their five dollar chips oh you can't shuffle them because they're so slippery (laughs) like i refuse to play 510 at commerce just because their chips are the worst ever 
<laughs> but uh, moving beyond Commerce's $5 chips, which are horrible, by the way, just wanted to reiterate and make it a point that they need to fix them. Um, let's move to some bluffing hands, some hero bluffs. Over the years, today's theme is live at the bike. And of course, you can't have live at the bike without some Garrett versus Andy action. So let's jump into hand number one, shall we? Let's do it. So the first hand is 5,000 Garrett, who, for those of you who don't know, one of the best cash game players in the world, insanely aggressive, very unorthodox. Andy is his counterpart who just, just goes to war with Garrett pretty much all the time, right? It's like they go out of their way just to do insane things against each other. So it's 50 at 100. Garrett opens to 300 with a six of spades from the hijack with, you know, a billion or two behind Andy three bets to 1400 with jacks from the big sitting on about 55 K and Garrett calls any thoughts about the action so far. I, I think it seems very standard. Um, I, I do think Garrett would four bet this hand some of the time. Uh, but there, this seems like the line that most most players would take. I, I don't think there's much that's particularly interesting to discuss here. How often does Garrett fold the A six of spades? Uh, probably zero percent. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the value range should be for Andy here to three bet Garrett? And what about his sizing, fourteen hundred? So I like his sizing uh, being this deep. Uh, in fact he could probably go even a little bit larger get like 16 or 1700. And I, I think this is going to depend. I personally wouldn't be trying to go to war with Garrett and I would probably narrow my value three bet range and bluff three bet range just a little bit here, but I suspect Andy is not doing that. And I suspect it's going to look something like nines plus, uh, and then he's probably going to have, quite a few. I, I don't know whether Andy will three bet polar or linear from the big blind. Uh, I would opt for a polar strategy and I'd probably be three betting like queen jack suited plus and then some complete air ball janks, uh, some like four six suited type stuff. It seems kind of questionable if Garrett's never folding to start three betting polar, right? I, I, I suppose so. Uh, gives us a little bit of board coverage though, which is nice. And I'm also used to a pool that's going to fold, not call every <laughs> single hand. <laughs> yeah, Garrett, Garrett is not folding here. Let's Spoiler alert, he's not folding pre-flop with pretty much any hand that he's opening with. Um, I, would go, I would go linear, so suited broadways, aces through nines type of situation. But uh, moving on. We get a flop of queen of hearts, queen of spades, eight of spades. Andy has the jacks. Garrett has the nut flush draw. And Andy starts off by checking. Any thoughts on the check? So I I think generally Andy's going to be doing a lot of checking here. And I think the primary reason is, is that Garrett's going to have a lot of queen X in his range here. Um, And I think that if you start betting everything here, you're going to end up getting abused, especially by someone capable of finding the bluffs in addition to the value raises here. 
Uh, Jax also makes a pretty natural check in general. It just seems like it, it's very incentivized to do that. Uh, while it can use a little bit of protection, I don't think it merits betting in this exact context. What do we bet then? Uh, personally, I would probably be betting some of my better queens. I would be che- be betting some flush draws or gutter gutter balls, and then checking some weaker queens, checking some some uh, other draws, and checking some pairs along this lo- along the lines of jacks. What about like king jack of hearts, king ten of hearts, hands with that block queen X, and have some backdoor equity? So those are also reasonable to bet. It just depends how uh, aggressive you're going to be with your betting strategy here. I, yeah. I think you can check or bet those. It's just you need to build the rest of your strategy around it. So Andy goes ahead and checks his jacks, seems reasonable, and now Garrett opts to check behind with his nut flush draw. Thoughts on that? That's kind of interesting. Um, I would expect a lot of the time for him to bet his flush draws here. I suspect he is taking his ace high flush draw and checking it just because it has more showdown value than versus if he had like six, seven of spades, I think he's going to bet it almost 100% frequency here. It, it seems like a great candidate to still bet though. Um, and you can use a lot of really large sizings here still just because you have so many queen necks. But it, it would be easy to overbluff with how many gutter balls and, and stuff that you could have in your range. So I suspect he's deducing bluffs from uh, weaker draws than the ace high flush draw. I would think also that Garrett has to have a pretty good eye on Andy's check raise in this spot and sure. his check range. So if he thinks Andy's going to be checking a lot of the hands like he has, then he knows he doesn't have much fold equity in this spot. So if Andy's prone to bet a more polarized strategy, like he's betting a lot of his bluffs, he's betting a lot of his gutters, and then he's checking his you know made hands, jacks, tens, nines, aces, kings, his suited eights, where he you know flops some sort of like a marginal hand then it makes Garrett less inclined to go ahead and start betting. So so Garrett checks back, turn is the deuce of clubs, Andy checks again. What do we think of that? So at this point, uh, just against a random opponent, I would start betting for value, and I would probably plan on betting twice um, with a smaller sizing. Uh, against Garrett specifically, uh, he is capable of – of bluffing uh, and maybe that's what he's looking to induce here. I don't think that Garrett often has better than Andy at this point. So I, I suspect the decision to check here is more weighted on allowing Garrett to bluff. I think Andy should be betting here on the turn. I don't really see a good reason for him to check. Once Garrett checks back the flop, a lot of Garrett's bluffs are going to be triple barrels where he can maximize fold equity. So like when he checks behind, makes me feel like he has some sort of marginal showdown value type hand that, you know, he he's opting to just check back and try to get a showdown with. I would be very suspicious of Garrett if we bet and, and Garrett raises us because right. we can look to bet call. 
Yeah, we because that, that line just doesn't make a ton of sense with his value once he checks back the flop. So it's really hard to go wrong with betting here, especially if we don't think Garrett really has a value range. It's like, okay, we just bet, and if he raises us, we just call, and then we just start calling rivers. Yeah, I, I agree um, for sure. But, yeah, Andy checks, and Garrett checks back. Once again, it kind of looks like he's trying to take his ace high to showdown, realize equity. A lot of good things can happen for him especially if he rivers a flush because Andy's going to know that he bets a lot of his flush draws on the flop or turn. So gives him a cool spot where he can river a flush and get paid pretty wide when and if he does. And he can also just check down and win with ace high a fair amount as well. So I really like how Garrett's played the hand so far. And now we get to the river and the river's a six of clubs. Garrett makes a pair Andy checks and Garrett actually there, there is a bit of a physical tell here, which is likely a reverse tell, which I think is pretty cool. If you watch the video back, Garrett looks down at his chips for a split second and then looks up again. Basically he's ready to bet and he thinks, and he opts to value bet 2k into 3k. What do you think about this value bet? It's, it's tricky because I would expect Andy to have bet off most of the hands like he currently has and a lot of his 8x at this point. So against most opponents, I would just expect to always have the best hand at this point um, and have no no fear of really like a bet three bet versus Andy, who's, I guess, capable of things. It might be getting a little bit thin just because I, I don't actually know what he's going to call you with. Maybe an ace high. So maybe it's fine still. Andy's decision here is really kind of weird too, by checking the river. I mean, we should just be putting money in the pot. Why are we going for a check raise? It seems a little insane. I, I agree, but he opted to uh, check the turn as well. That I, I don't necessarily agree with either. So, yeah. Uh, I, I do think check raising though on the river is kind of fine because you do basically have the nuts or you should interpret it as you have the nuts. So I, I do think that his hand warrants putting in this amount of money for value. Yeah, so we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, Andy's obviously going to check raise Garrett's bet. And I think the check raise is fine. It's just, should we be check, going for a check raise here? Like if Garrett is checking back a lot of his marginal showdown, then you know we just lose a bet by not betting. Uh, a raise on the river doesn't really make much sense. So we can just bet call a raise. So once again, I mean, then again, Garrett is, you know, he's on the greedier side, right? He's not going to, he's not going to check back a hand that he thinks has showdown value. So he's going to value at a high frequency. So I could, I could see merit in both checking and betting from Andy's side. I, I wanted to chime in. I still don't think Garrett's going to be value betting ace high on the river, which I think is a lot of what his range consists of. So I, I still do think that betting is just going to be a better line in general for Andy. Yeah, it it's, seems like that's most likely the case. This is a little, little FPS, I think, little fancy play syndrome where he goes for the check raise. Does he have bluffs here, check raising the river to 7,600? I, I mean, you're going to have a lot of garbage you could just turn into, into a bluff here. And I, I do think Andy will find those. So I, I do think so. 
The problem is he's got to get to the river with all those garbage hands. He's got to not bet the flop and not bet the turn and then go for a check raise on the river with like a busted gut shot or some sort of king high. You could have like ace five suited or king five suited or yeah, it seems seems plausible to me. It's possible. Yeah, it, it's a little tricky. Um, so, of course, it's hero bluff week. Uh, Garrett, Garrett does not fold. Um, Garrett thinks for a few seconds, and now he bet three bets to 36K. Thoughts? Garrett's a madman. <laughs> um, so it's it's super gutsy he's repping a really really narrow range and the the range he's mostly representing is pocket sixes exactly uh so having a a six here is probably a pretty good candidate to do it um and that's also the most likely hand that andy could have uh that would take this line and be quite strong so i i suspect he he thinks uh, Andy has a hand like an eight or pocket nines or pocket sevens and just thinks he's capped and can blow him off of it. I agree. And since he did river a six, it makes pocket sixes way less likely for Andy more in line with some sort of marginal value type type of check race. And if he can fold out jacks and he can fold out aces and he can fold out Kings and he can fold out tens and nines with this bet three bet, I mean, does Andy ever call the river? Well, I, I think that Andy actually probably should be calling if he has aces, kings, or jacks, because I just don't think he's getting to the river with strong enough hands. So, like, just from a balanced perspective, I think Andy is pretty much at the top of his range other than pocket sixes. Uh, and so, from a theoretical perspective, he probably should be calling that being said, I don't normally care about theory all that much, uh, and I'd be looking to deduce whether Garrett is balanced himself here or whether he is very imbalanced and we can just fold everything. Well, it's Garrett. It's still bet three-betting. The, the river is, is still a crazy line, and it's still hard to find bluffs even for the best players in, in the world here. So I, I don't necessarily hate overfolding the river but it does seem like it's it is the top of his range maybe he should be making the call how do you feel about a jam by andy i i don't really feel like it it'd be about 19 or 20k more i think garrett's range is super polar uh so we're going to beat his bluffs anyways and just get stacked by pocket sixes if we jam so i I don't see any merit let's go to hypothetical if andy has 100k I think a rip could fold out pocket sixes. I would be hesitant. Uh, and the reason why is I just don't think he's going to be checking down three streets with the hands that would be capable of taking that line and beating pocket sixes. You're really going to check pocket eights on the flop, the turn, and the river. Uh, pocket queens, I guess you could do, but one combination, whatever. You're just going to take my money. And there's nothing else you're really worried about, so... I think Garrett would actually fold. Garrett is known for his big folds, but it's obviously pretty pretty sick. Um, four bet eight, four bet jamming the river, hoping to fold out the boats that are in Garrett's range. But anyway, enough with the hypotheticals. Garrett gets his man. 
puts the pressure on Andy and Andy folds what's likely a capped range. And that's why, you know, Garrett's one of the best in the world. And now coming up after the break, we're going to have some more Garrett on Andy action at live at the bike. So stay tuned. Coach Brad here, and I hope you're enjoying episode number one of Hero Bluff Week. I know it's a little different than what you're used to here on Chasing Poker Greatness, so give me your thoughts on Twitter at CPG Podcast and let me know what you think. And before we jump into hand number two, I just want to remind you again about the Bluffing Masterclass that's happening on Saturday. For $50, not only do you get access to knowledge that is going to make you hundreds or thousands of dollars over your poker career, everyone who buys will also get integrated into the Chasing Poker Greatness Slack community. That's where aspirants connect with one another and grow as poker players. I know that you've heard on this show many, many times about the importance of community. So do not delay. Head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com. Sign up for the masterclass. Even if you can't make it on Saturday, I will send you a replay and add you to the group. If you show up with bells on, sit through the entire masterclass, and you do not leave convinced that the knowledge you gain is worth 10x the price of admission, then you can 100% have your money back. So sign up, ChasingPokerGreatness.com to the Bluffing Masterclass, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Hero Bluff Week, live at the bike day. We got some more Garrett v. Andy action. Thomas, you ready to rock? Absolutely. I love this hand. Andy opens to 600 from the cutoff with 8-9 offsuit, the 9 of clubs, 8 of spades, sitting on about 105K. Garrett, 3 bets to 2,200 on the button with ace of spades, jack of clubs. Bill Klein, cold flats, out of the small blind with ace, queen off. And now Andy overcalls. Thomas, what do you make of this preflop action? The three bet from Garrett, the call from Klein, and then the overcall from Andy. So uh, Andy's open is just a hair wide preflop in the first place. Uh, It's fine, though. Uh, But as far as... Once the action gets back to him, there's there's no way he can make the call. Uh, he's not going to have absolute position for the rest of the hand. His hand is just really bad, and he's playing against a really good opponent. I, I don't think even this deep there's much merit for calling the three bet. Um, as far as Bill Klein cold calling uh, from the small line, this is something that I think recreational players do a lot they have a hand like pocket tens pocket jets ace queen and they don't really know what to do and they just call that's too good to fold in their mind and they don't really want to four bet and just be up against ace king or aces or kings so typically a recreational takes a line like this and their range is very narrow very very face up uh so it makes it a little bit easier for us to play post slop and obviously garrett's line is is just fine uh, his sizing's a little large, but being in position, but this deep, again, it it's fine. What do you think Bill Klein ought to have done with his ace-queen for the listener who struggles when you have a loose formation, meaning you know the cut off the button, a raise, and then a three-bet, and we have a marginal hand like ace-queen, pocket nines, or pocket tens in the blinds? 
So I, I would lean towards four betting here uh, at a very high frequency with hands like this. Uh, one thing that I would consider um, is the caliber of my opponents before I, I enter into something where it's going to make money for betting, but it's not going to be a lot of money. And if it's up against these two particular opponents, maybe my post-slop abilities in a deep four bet pot out of position is not going to be sufficient to make money here. Uh, so it's it's just weighing that those two factors, whether we want to fold or whether we want to four bet. I don't really like flatting. It's just going to be impossible to play post-slop. Um, there's really not many boards at all that we're going to be happy to put in lots and lots of money on. Like an ace high one, we're always in the back. Ace king's always in the back of our mind. A queen high, aces and kings is always in the back of our mind. I, I just prefer four betting, keeping our range uncapped uh, if we think that we can keep up with the players post flop or just folding otherwise. Yeah, I agree. And because it's Garrett and Andy in the cutoff and button, we just ought to be four betting this hand. It's most likely going to be miles ahead of Garrett and miles ahead of Andy. So we need to put more money in when we have a range advantage versus, you know, an extremely aggressive player. Like the more capable players are of three betting in this specific spot, the wider you ought to be for betting. So in my mind, I think that Klein should be just cold for betting the ace queen. Interesting with Andy, because you're right. Eight, nine off. I can't imagine playing this hand. I can't imagine calling with a preflop. How do you feel about a four bet from Andy? Interesting. Uh, it's not something I had really considered uh, with this exact hand. I'd like to have a little more playability in the four, uh, four bet pot. I, and by that, I mean, I'd like to have a suited hand, really. Um, it's interesting because we know Bill Klein's range is pretty strong, but it's also capped uh, at Jackson's, maybe even Queen's and East Queen. Uh, so us putting in a four bet is likely to scare him away at some point, uh, whether it's pre-flop or later on in the hand, uh, making him fold. I don't know. Garrett, I think is good enough to recognize the situation though. And I don't think that he's going to let us get away with it easily. Uh, the only problem with that is Garrett is going to be very wide here. So there's not going to be a lot. He's going to be able to do with a lot of his range. Uh, so I, I wouldn't choose this hand for a four bet, but I do think that four betting somewhat wide here does have merit. Yeah, I agree. I think Garrett really can't do too much versus a four bet. He's stuck in between two players where he's likely dominated with ace jack, like his very specific hand. And with his range, it becomes hard for him to even flat, uh, the, the four bet with a lot of his four betting range, like King Queen, King Jack, King 10, Jack 10, Queen Jack. You're going to be dominated just way too often by one or both of the players. And it just makes it hard to continue. So I would like to see Andy four bet here fairly wide, but he opts to call. I would rather four bet than call because I would rather never call here with an eight and a nine of different suits. I would agree. But here we are. This is the, the world we live in. Um, so now we get a flop of Jack nine, five, Jack of spades, nine of hearts, five of spades to recap Garrett flops, top pair, Bill Klein flops, absolutely nothing. And Andy flops middle pair. They both check 
to Mr. Garrett, who bets about half pot, 3,500 into 7,100. Bill Klein calls. <laughs> First uh, interesting decision here. And Andy overcalls. What do we think about Garrett's bet, Klein's call, and Andy's overcall? So I think Garrett has a great candidate to go ahead and blo- or go ahead and bet for value. Top pair, top kicker is going to be the best hand the vast majority of the time, unless Bill Klein has pocket nines or, or pocket queens specifically, uh, or Andy has jack nine suited or pocket fives, I guess. Uh, so it seems like a clear value bet from Garrett. Bill Klein, once he calls, uh, I, I don't know what he's doing here with calling. Uh, he doesn't have backdoor spades either. Uh, so I guess he just views his hand as too strong to fold for some reason. I, I want to I chime in about Bill Klein because I just have to assume he's setting up a bluff down the road he's going to try to check raise or going to try to get out of line that's really the only justification for flatting the ace queen here i would think but yeah now let's move on to andy so andy's decision is is really interesting here uh if if it was just him and garrett uh in the hand i think it's a very straightforward continue but once the recreational who has a very narrow range in the small blind calls it seems like Overcalling here is just going to be losing a lot of money. Um, it, I, I'm really surprised to see Bill Klein even like call with Ace Queen here. So I would expect to be behind the vast majority of the time. And I don't even being this deep, I don't think that our our trip outs, our two pair outs, or our backdoor flush draw to an eight high flush draw outs are are particularly good. So I would just make the fold in Andy's shoes again on the flop. So Andy's 0 for 2. G-Man's batting 1,000 on every street so far. What happens to Andy's range when he overcalls the flop? How does that, how does that affect his range from you know, Garrett's perspective? So if, if you take a look at the incentives of different hands here, if, if he had pocket jacks and chose not to pour about them or had pocket nines or pocket fives, uh, it's very likely that he would choose to raise here. The The board is very wet. Uh, there's a lot of draws that you're vulnerable to. Uh, there's a recreational who's shown that he probably has a pretty strong hand here. It's time to just go ahead and get value. Uh, so I, I think that he would be raising off the vast majority of his really strong hands here, uh, his top two pair and his sets. So I think that a lot of what he'll end up calling with here, it will be flush draws, it will be straight draws, it'll be jack-10, jack-queen type hands, and then I guess some 9x, but I, I wouldn't have too many of the 9x personally. Agreed. Highly incentivized. Once Klein calls the flop, you're highly incentivized to raise your two pairs and your sets, especially when you have poor visibility. So there's going to be a lot of turn cards that are just not so great for us a king, an eight, any spade, just it, it can be very hard to play and we can't count on Garrett to bet the turn. So if we call with like a set of nines and then we we check the turn, Garrett's just going to check back a lot and they're both going to realize their equity. So top of range just feels like it ought to be check raising here. I'm with you. Andy caps his range with overcalling. And now we head to a turn. The turn is the nine of spades.
fades. So Andy improves to trips. Bill Klein improves to one pair. <laughs> and <laughs> Garrett picks up a flush draw with the ace of spades. Klein checks. Andy checks. And now the action's on Garrett. Do we think Garrett should bet? Do we think Garrett should check back? So if I am Garrett here, I'm not actually all that concerned about the nine, even though Andy does actually have the nine. I would expect Andy to be folding more of the nines. And I don't. I just don't think Bill Klein has any nines in his range, uh, unless he's a little bit wider preflop than I suspect. So the nine specifically isn't what I would be concerned about if I were him. It's more the flush coming in. Even having the ace of spades, it seems very plausible that one of the opponents has a flush so i don't see a ton of of value to be had uh, i don't want to get blown off the equity that i have either so i i do think that checking is better here another decision point though is should andy or bill klein be leading on this this card and if andy's going to call with a bunch of his 9x on the flop i i think it's plausible that he could be leading this card some of the time well he he got the nine but not the nine he wanted <laughs> the nine of spades <laughs> yes. completes the flush and this is like the whole problem with andy overcalling the flop right he improves to trips and still doesn't feel great about leading on a turn that is the best turn for him quite frankly um where he makes trips so this is the problem with andy overcalling the flop so Garrett opts to check back, which I think is very reasonable. He's got backup, then a flush draw to go along with his jack. There's about 17K in the pot, and the river is a seven of spades. So we have four to a flush. Klein checks, Andy checks, and now Garrett has the nut flush with his ace jack. What sizing do you think Garrett should make here and why? Or there's two schools of thought that I, I have battling in my head right now. Uh, there's one argument for a large uh, a pot to slight over bet size, and that's that I think my opponents are pretty capped at this point, uh, and I'm just trying to put maximum pressure on them, uh, and I would do that with bluffs as well. The other argument that I have is I don't think the hands that my opponents have to call are particularly strong, and especially if they were weaker players, I might size down with this exact hand trying to get called by a weaker hand uh, and not bluff at all in that range. So I probably would bet like 60 to 70% pot versus weaker players, but I, I think betting about pot versus good players is probably a good line. It's still tough because it's three ways, and you're just less likely to be bluffing three ways when you size down. So I guess I, I do like Garrett's big sizing here to go more polarized where he's just got like the nuts or nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with the big size actually not to feed into Garrett's ego anymore that he's made all the right <laughs> decisions in every single hand. I've agreed with everything. I do like the big size. So Garrett bets is 15 K Bill Klein folds and Andy rips it for 99.4K. Thomas, what are your thoughts? So there's one one element that you uh, glossed over, and that was that Bill Klein actually tank folded. 
very clearly posturing or considering bluffing, but I do think that the way Andy is viewing Bill Klein's hand is somewhat relevant. Uh, it's likely that Bill Klein would have the queen, well, not the queen, oh, let's see. Uh, yeah, the queen of spades or king of spades or something uh, when he tanks that long. Um, even though he did not in this exact case, it might impact Andy's decision here. As far as, as having a jam here on the river for Andy, his hand candidate is, is absolutely perfect. It can't really get any better. He blocks full houses. He blocks uh, both of the straight flush potentials. Uh, the issue with it is that on the flop, he's really likely to raise off all of these value hands, all of these sets, all of these two pairs. So does he actually have any of them at all on the river? And most players would not. Uh, I, after watching him play the pocket jacks hand earlier, maybe he does, but I suspect that he doesn't actually have many full houses here. And maybe Garrett should be making the call, especially with the jack blocking jack nine. It's so improbable that Andy has a boat. And for the first time, I'm going to disagree with something that Mr. Garrett does. Andy's range is just capped here. And so really this is a battle between does Garrett think Andy can do this with a bluff or does Garrett think that Andy is capable of overcalling the flop with two pair sets. And clearly Garrett's going to end up folding here. So he chooses the more conservative route and going back to the first hand, this is what I said, Garrett's capable of making folds even when like the action doesn't make a ton of sense here because of the three-way overcall in the flop and with Klein in the pot, I think that this is just one of those spots where you just have to put the money in the middle and say that, you know, Andy's story doesn't make any sense. How do you have a full house here? And uh, just if he's got it, he's got it. But he just doesn't really have many value ranges here, uh, very many value combinations here. It's one of those classic spots where it's like, how does he have it, but how does he not? And with Andy being on the more unconventional side with some of his aggressive actions, it's certainly possible that Andy's one of those, well, how can he have it? Okay, he really can't, so let's just throw the chip in there and hope for the best. It's easy to say that now looking at it, but when it's $100,000. <laughs> it's true. It, it's very easy for me to say it after the fact, but we do, but like we agree though that he doesn't have any value because his value almost always raises the flop. So it doesn't really make a ton of sense. I genuinely believe that when Garrett watched this hand back, he was most likely disappointed with himself for folding the river, even though it's a spot that people typically don't bluff. Andy just isn't really telling a very credible story, but he got it through. And like I said, you know, Garrett is capable of making big folds. That's one of the major parts of his arsenal, as well as his big bluffs, and uh, just didn't work out for him. This time, Andy wins the day. Thank you very much for listening to this Live at the Bike episode of Hero Bluff Week. Coming up tomorrow, we have Phil Ivy Day. You don't want to miss that, so come back. That's our show. Let me know what you think at CPG Podcast on Twitter. And don't forget to head to 
ChasingPokerGreatness.com. Sign up for the Bluffing Masterclass. Stop thinking to yourself that it's really hard to get plugged into a community because this is your chance to take some action, integrate with folks who want to be the best poker players they are capable of. ChasingPokerGreatness.com. I will see you Saturday.